Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Uh, you may have seen that part two of our Live at the Sugar Club with Owen and Roman from The Ditch is out now. Uh, the third part is out on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, he says cheekily. Well, we've got some news there. We will be back in the Sugar Club in September, and the pre-sale tickets link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. And if you are a member at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, there's a discount code there for you. So check your inbox and grab the tickets before they go on full release. I just want to say thank you as well to everybody for the feedback to the CAMS podcast that we did. I know it was a difficult listen, but I do believe it was a very necessary conversation. And I want to say thanks everybody for the feedback. And finally, one more reminder, please join us. Click the link. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's the easiest bit of activism you can do every month. It helps us keep the mics on and have conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Roisin McCashin, who is a member of a primary school teacher um, and a member of the um, Education Coalition in Dublin West, which is the Taoiseach's constituency. And Roisin was in touch with me about um, work and, and campaigning that she's been doing, along with others, around the whole issue of teachers. Um, schools been able to source teachers. The whole issue of linking with the housing crisis and how that is impacting on being able to get teachers and on teachers uh, quality of life, being able to find accommodation situation, their situations they're living in. And we have talked about this before on the podcast. We've had a number of teachers on talking about this issue and how the housing crisis is impacting on the uh, teacher retention, uh, teacher retention, teacher recruitment. Um, and it is one, it is an issue that we raised a number of months ago um, with a teacher who uh, we got a quite a big response to Dara who had emigrated um, to Australia as a result of just not being able to get a home in Dublin. But we've seen a number of issues in the, the news recently. But Roisin has done her own um, work on this primary research, as we call it. Uh, Roisin, wonderful to have mm-hmm. you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. And Roisin, before we get started, your own situation, you are an adult in the attic yourself. Yeah, so another adult in the attic and my poor parents don't know when they'll be able to get rid of me. So um, as we know from the census, the average age for an adult to now move out of their parents' home is 29 years old. And that very much applies to teachers because teachers are average people on very average salaries. So, um, you know, I'll often talk to friends of mine and peers of mine teachers who they'll move out and they'll end up moving back in after evictions or you know they'll emigrate for a few years they come back they're back in their parents home and so even when we look at that calculation of the average age for an adult to move out of 29 sometimes that's not even counting the time that people move home for a second time after you know a temporary period of renting or a temporary period of emigration and that's just a massive you know, deterrent for teachers because the way that young teachers survive in this country is by spending many years of their young adult lives living in their parents' homes well into their 20s. 
And, you know, something has to be done about that because it's just not adequately attractive or, you know, dignified for young teachers or people in general to be living that way when they're working and paying their taxes and the government are taking young people's tax and not spending proportionately or fairly on them and their accommodation. And um, so many of us are just absolutely infuriated at how little we see being done. And there seems to be a constant kind of claim by government that they, they can't do more, that they're doing everything they can. But when we look at so many headlines, you see there are so many possibilities for more things that they could do that that they're not doing. Yeah, and, and we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come on to that more. But just I just want to talk because it is something, you know, I've written about mm. in, in gaffes and that about what I describe as this infantilization of a generation and this kind of mm-hmm. inability. And you, you reference it there yourself, you know, to live a life with dignity. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And it is incredible when you step back just for a minute and think about it. And it was on, you know, Brendan O'Connor on RT. I don't know if you were listening to it on the weekend. You know, mm-hmm. they were discussing this issue. Um, it was headlined in one of the newspapers about teachers. Uh, the school's not been able to get teachers. And, and one of the the mm-hmm. uh, panelists was saying, oh, you know, it's not really about the housing crisis. And um, and just this uh, way in which it's kind of just dismissed. And this mm-hmm. idea that it's OK now or it's normal that teachers are stuck, you know, like yourself living at yeah. home into their adulthood how does that feel you see you know you mentioned being infuriated mm-hmm. but on a day-to-day level how does it feel do you does it is it okay is it challenging uh, i mean say at earlier stages you know during your college years during your early 20s you know at in the early years of adulthood you just you're more optimistic you're more hopeful you think you know this will change this will improve or you know after a number of years the supply of housing will increase or the cost of rents will go down but then year after year it gets harder and harder and it gets just um more and more infuriating because you know that you're doing all the right things another year passes where you do more and more savings, more and more work, you pay more and more tax, but you're not getting any closer. And then um, the comments from people like that in the media saying, oh, it's not really the housing crisis that's, you know, causing this decline in staffing. And it is definitely, you know, the number one biggest factor. And um, it just feels like extreme disrespect to hear that from people who aren't living it and there's so much rock solid evidence out there to to support that those are the facts and so as time's gone on you know it's just changed into extreme anger and for me in the education coalition I get um, messages from young teachers all the time who are in dire situations some of them living in cars telling me that, you know, they have to join, pay a gym membership to go shower somewhere every day. They have to join and pay a library to go do their after school work and corrections every day. They have to go to a laundrette to do their washing. They have to go couch surfing and, um, you know, eviction after eviction. The average um you know, the take home pay for a newly qualified teacher after taxes, 2000 euro a month. And then the average rent in Dublin is, I think, 2200 
Um, so there are teachers telling me that they choose jobs in the uh, dash schools because they know that there's free food left over at the end of the school day and they literally choose jobs where they know they can get free food because they can't afford they can barely afford to pay for it themselves so um teaching used to be for previous age groups previous generations not even that long ago it used to be a stable job for you know a good quality life and that's just not true anymore and you know so much needs to change for teachers and nurses and just so many ordinary hard-working people and Roshan I I, again I got like Mm. we've talked you know to people on this podcast and I've spoken to people Mm. you know contact me as well around the housing crisis and it's still like it should shock us and it has to be shocking and and I spoke Mm. to doctors recently as well who would who Mm. are living out of their car Mm-hmm. That you're telling me the teachers are contacting you mm-hmm. saying we're living out of our car. Mm-hmm. We're having to go to a library to correct, to do corrections mm-hmm. that we're couch surfing. Mm-hmm. This is a reality for teachers in Ireland in 2023. Yeah. And what's even worse is seeing how our society has numbed to this that we see so many headlines and stories emerge from you know teachers nurses working people even you know doctors living out of cars couch surfing moving from airbnb to airbnb or commuting you know four hours a day and um people have almost numbed to it that we're not having the kind of shock reaction and the shock um pressure put on government to do something about it and i think it's because it's just a minority of society where the majority are not affected where it's mm-hmm. mostly younger generations and certain disadvantaged groups um where other people who are not affected by it just sort of stay out of it but we need a whole population unity on this where we need people who are not affected by it to you know support it in the same way that we had say you know the marriage referendum so I'm not part of the LGBT community but I absolutely made sure to vote for that and Mm -hmm. and speak in support and in favor of it and that's what we need to see more of because even though we have nearly half and a half a million adults living in their parents homes even though we have 750,000 renters um, that's still combined a minority of our population that's you know less than one and a half million out of several million so with that that minority are in just absolute extremities in terms of housing and I just can't emphasize that enough I know some of the messages I've gotten from the education coalition people some young people mistakenly thought I was like a politician that I was doing, you know, a paid job to sort of look after teachers. And they were, you know, I received messages from them that they would send to someone who they think is a politician and how I see how angry they were. And then I was explaining to them, no, this is a voluntary organization where they're, we're voluntarily um, doing things to, to support teachers and um, then they were like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have gotten so angry at you. And I'm like, no, I completely understand because I'm living the same circumstances myself. And, you know, I don't 
want to emigrate, but that's just what I feel like I'm going to have to do next year. And when you go, you just don't know if you're going to come back. And I speak to so many teachers from abroad who are saying, we want to come home, but we just, we little to no chance of a mortgage. Um, we've constant chance of eviction, no secure home. The rents are totally unaffordable on the teacher's salaries. The salaries here are far lower. And it is extremely inconsiderate of politicians and certain people in the media to say that young teachers uh, and others only emigrate for travel and for yeah. fun when so many people don't want to emigrate at all. They just want to do their few holidays in the summer and live in Ireland or they want to go for maybe a year or two, but they don't want to stay for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years. And many of them don't want to emigrate all the way to Dubai um, permanently for the rest of their lives where they're separated from their family, their friends, and they're a million miles away from home where they can't even fly back at the weekend or at Christmas. So um, I really condemn those comments by people claiming that it's only for for fun and travel and completely out of choice because that's just absolutely not true. And the the numbers that we see um, of teachers emigrating are just on the shocking increase. And you're seeing things like, for example, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, salaries for teachers over there have now reduced because they have such a big intake of um, applicants from Ireland that they know they don't have to set very high salaries to attract them. They know that they'll come anyway. So it's becoming even less of um, an option to go to Dubai, save money and come back because mm -hmm. those salaries abroad are being reduced because foreign countries and know they can attract us regardless. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it's... I, I haven't been working in it and highlighting it and, you know, speaking to mm -hmm. people. I've, you know, I've seen this and, and, you know, teachers have been talking to me and others, doctors and, and you know, those who are, you know, being evicted and I've been highlighting. And, and it is always just so enraging to me and shocking about how so many people still mm -hmm. don't get it, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you know, particularly you know, those in, in positions within the media, but also within government and privilege, they just they're so disconnected from it. And there is this mm -hmm. disconnect. But then on the other hand, like there's, you know, you're living at home, you know, with mm -hmm. a parent or, or parents and mm -hmm. like they must get it, surely. And so I think that, mm -hmm. yes, there's one and a half million people affected, but there's another like, mm -hmm. I think now we're at the situation where the majority of people in this country are somehow affected mm -hmm. by it. But I think. You know, so I think it, that sense has changed, but there's definitely, you know, those who are isolated from it are privileged and to be not affected by it, they are completely disconnected. And I think that's part of, mm -hmm. it's not just a numbing to it, it's also mm -hmm. a dismissing of it, that this isn't really that bad and this idea. That yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the people, that's, you know, a sharp difference and the people in power are just benefiting from the problem of this because as we know, so many of the government are landlords themselves and um they don't they don't want um more equality they don't want equal opportunity for housing because 
if they did, they'd be doing more. But so many of them are benefiting from extortionate rents. And that's just easy money in the pocket for them that they don't have to work for, that they just lazily get to accept. And, you know, so many of them have been caught for not registering their property, which makes it seem that they were avoiding tax. And, you know, it should and it's not they claim that they it, it was just an oversight or they didn't do much wrong. But really, they know it's a mandatory compulsory rule and that it is a serious, you know, um serious bad conduct yeah no the it, job, absolutely not to disclose it and yeah. i think it should be compulsory for them to disclose yeah um exactly what they are making yeah. no you're you're absolutely right it's not just that they're privileged disconnected from it they're actually benefiting from it yeah and you know the 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 you know the dominant investor funds and developers who mm-hmm. you know would be connected to them of course are benefiting as well absolutely and it's a crisis for 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 a generation and many of people in very, very disadvantaged situations. But of course, it's actually a boom for uh, investor funds and developers. But Roshan, mm-hmm. I want to get because um, you did a survey um, mm-hmm. of schools in the Dublin West constituency and mm-hmm. the Overadkirst uh, constituency um, mm-hmm. and the Taoiseach. And you went to meet him mm-hmm. to or at least try and contact him to outline the results mm-hmm. of of the survey and the findings mm-hmm. and what you've been outlining here, the impact. Mm. Um, maybe you could bring us to first the survey findings and mm-hmm. um, the kind of main headline um, kind of results and of what that what you found from that. And then we might chat mm-hmm. about Leo and how receptive he was to your um, mm-hmm. concerns. Yeah, so uh, our summary survey is that um, across, so out of 28 schools, primary schools in Dublin 15, there were 110 unfilled teaching jobs in the academic year 2022 to 23. So um, we had 12 permanent jobs unfilled, 45 fixed term jobs unfilled and 53 maternity or long-term substitute contracts unfilled. And then... Just among 28 schools? That's just a sample of 28 schools. So in Dublin... 110 positions, that's a lot. Yeah, and those are not, you know, um, know, even some some of those permanent... Um, a huge number of them fixed term with, say, full holiday pay and, mm. you know, opportunities for progression for, say, continuing on a second year and being given a CID, a contract of indefinite duration with job security. And those things are not enough to incentivize people to stay anymore. Um, and then we've seen massive percentages um, of... Uh, just extreme consistent issues occurring as a result of um, constant teacher shortage. So um, we have a list of 50 questions and then in details, in detail, we're seeing huge percentages of um, schools reporting that they're constantly, um, you know, they're always starting off short staffed. And then what you normally do is you look for a substitute teacher, you can't find one then you redeploy teachers from the special education team um to substitute teach um but many days you'll have say um you might have say you should have i don't know seven 
special education teachers you yeah. might only have four so you're already short three you could have five class teachers absent you have four subbing in the mainstream you can't get a sub so you're seeing increased situations of things like a class teacher or a substitute taking two classes together of 70 children and um, you're seeing uh, principals reporting that they have special needs assistance being used as substitute teachers, classes being supervised, not taught, um, special education students going the vast majority of the year not having their special education classes because the special ed teachers now spend the majority, in many cases, the vast majority of the year substitute teaching the mainstream classes instead of doing their own special education role. Um, Gale schools reporting they have to uh, hire substitute teachers who don't speak Irish and um, student teachers on placement um, being used to teach. They could be as young as just 17, 18 in their first year of teacher training college and um, other unqualified staff being used. So people who say they have degrees, but they have absolutely no background or qualifications mm. in teaching and. Um, schools reporting that they have often had to consider um sending classes home um schools reporting that they almost had to close some schools principals have sent me copies of texts that they circulated to all parents saying that we are are, are at our lowest minimum staff um number right now and if we have one more staff member absent in the coming days we will be temporary temporarily closing until further notice and um i work on what's called it uh, the last few years i worked on what's called the supply panel which mm. means that i'm employed full-time by one school but i um provide i work off-site um, providing substitute cover in 11 local schools and we had to set up a sort of emergency case um, scenario plan which meant that um, even though substitute teachers were already booked for different schools um, it, a school could report to the base school and say we're facing an emergency situation tomorrow where we're suddenly minus you know uh, 12 teachers or whatever yeah and the substitutes would be cancelled then for wherever else they were booked and would be last minute um redeployed to go to the school in the emergency situation where they were at high risk of closure and having substitutes on call is the difference between a school staying closed or open the difference between a, you know a class being sent home or staying in school so you know the message i really want to get out to parents now is that it's not just special education students that are affected it's all students because classrooms are at constant risk of closure schools are on constant risk of at constant risk of collapse because um all schools are opening with short of a few or several or many teachers and then they don't have the special education teachers to to do the substitute teaching in the classes when there's a teacher absent and then um the there's too few substitutes shared between them not enough substitutes to cover and it, there there are classes that have 
no actual class teacher that have different substitutes. I know of cases where a class has had six different teachers in one year where they've just had a different substitute teacher every couple of weeks or every month or two. Um, and classes, all students are missing out on learning support. So mm. special education and, and teachers. And of course, for yeah. you know, when you think about the impact on, on children um, and, and teachers, but, you know, if you start on children, you think about, you know, particularly, you know, children with special needs, additional needs, it's a huge you know, inequality being exacerbated mm -hmm. in terms of them mm -hmm. being the ones losing their support. There's something, you know, deeply wrong about that. Um, mm -hmm. And then as well, you know, children, young primary school children, but all primary school children have a mm -hmm. deep attachment to their teachers, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a constant churn of teachers for primary mm -hmm. school children is not is not good developmentally. In terms mm -hmm. of, you know, and, and particularly, again, for children who might, you know, but for all primary school children, mm -hmm. you know, they need stability of of teachers, um, you know, in terms of their relationships. And then when you go to post-primary, of course, the big issue, particularly around exam subjects, and mm -hmm. that is they, again, need teachers who are, you know, being able to be there and, you know, a constant churn of teachers mm -hmm. is is very problematic. So and yeah, obviously yeah. the impact on, on, on staff then in terms of the stress mm -hmm. and the pressure of trying to cover for lower mm -hmm. numbers is very difficult as well. Yeah, like it's not it's not healthy for children's development to have const to constantly have new teachers every mm -hmm. couple of weeks and not actually be assigned a class teacher. Um, you know, especially with the younger classes where, yeah. you know, uh, the infants, for example, the teacher is nearly like a third parent to them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not good for them socially. They There's not a teacher who can long term monitor their progress and implement plans that are, you know, custom fit to their needs. So educationally, it's just not OK how bad it has gotten. And especially considering that these are children who are already lost, you know, at least eight months of school during recent COVID years and yeah. are still, you know, playing catch up on that. But the stress on teachers is, um, you know, is something that, that we're seeing, uh, you know, a lot of evidence of. And some of the comments that I received from um from different principles uh, were things like saying, you know, my staff are experiencing daily stress where every single day they're saying to themselves, okay, I'm not getting any learning support teacher in class for. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, and I would yeah. see it with my own kids, you know, that, you know, mm -hmm. if their teacher is, now, they've been very fortunate. They have had, you know, the teachers mm -hmm. have been there, but, you know, if, if someone is out for even a day or two, they're, mm -hmm. you know, you know, upset with it and, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously they're, they're okay, but it, it is impactful. And as you say, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if that churn is going on and, and in particular, mm -hmm. as you say, watching and monitoring, you know, students mm -hmm. and building a relationship with them over time, mm -hmm. you know, that really mm -hmm. matters. And mm -hmm. for students and, and their own sense of stability, connection to the school, mm -hmm. um, and particularly if, you, you know, you wanted to, you know, engage with students who might be challenged in whatever way in terms of engaging with school, you know, having teachers who are building a relationship with them over time really, really matters and impacts. Um, yeah. And I mean, the staff, a lot of the comments in the survey that came back 
um, you know, showed high levels of stress where there were principals saying, you know, all of my teachers are stressed on a daily basis because they have class sizes that are exploding. They have class sizes that have gone from, say, from being, say, 32 students to now having maybe 35 because we've taken in, you know, a lot of um students from Ukraine and and elsewhere and rightly so within the last year and then on average days you'll have classes split up where you'll have um a class's absence so you'll split up the class up into groups of three and give three extra students to each teacher but on an average day you'll have maybe two classes split so each teacher would have maybe six extra students and their class size maybe you know 34 so you're looking at nearly 40 students for each teacher most days and the class teacher is not receiving um learning support for reading writing maths key subjects and key skills so all students not just special education students are missing out on hours and time with the learning support teacher who's meant to come in and provide support for reading writing maths core subjects core skills so a student should be seeing be doing reading individually with the teacher at least maybe once or twice a week now you might you might be lucky to get it done once a month because the teacher shortage is so bad and then there's you know less and less access to things like after school sports extracurricular activities because there's less teachers available to do that and some of the after school programs like for example the homework clubs and there's less and less access to that because there's less staff opting in to do those after school hours because there's less of them to begin with and then they there's no one to 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 teach or do the homework club when there's after school staff meetings so you see just constant levels of disruption but i'm seeing a lot of principals reporting in the survey that they're on the constant verge of panic because they have so many days where they where they know there's a real risk of closure or a real risk of having to send classes home and that's extremely disruptive to parents because you know they need to go to work and knowing that you may have to call parents and tell them you can't go to work someone has to collect this child and you know have them lined up at the and we're all still suffering ptsd after covid with uh (laughs) you know but that's the reality of it that yeah you know it is that it's extremely it's extremely stressful and and you know for staff and, and you know, it just seems, um, and and I, you know, have have you're saying schools at the point of possibly closing? Or do you think we might mm-hmm. see that in September? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I know so many principals who have told me that you know they they wanted to send classes home and that they've they've had to almost send classes home countless times, more times than they care to imagine. But you know, they didn't do it because. Um, it's we haven't had a sort of official, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We we haven't made an official stance together as as teachers yet, saying right from now on our policy and our standard practice will be if there's not a teacher there to ch- to teach the children, we'll send them home and we won't give them you know a special needs assistant or a supervisor or you know one teacher for two classes of 70 kids 
they don't send them home because they don't want to give extreme inconvenience or or, or burdens to parents mm-hmm. by having them collect their children at the last minute when and cancel their work. But we're getting cl- closer and closer to it happening to where um, that will happen anyway, because th- we're we're getting less and less options where we're getting to a stage where there won't even be that special needs assistant to supervise the class or there won't even be the unqualified student teacher to take another class because they'll all, all already be allocated to different classes anyway. And then there'll be literally no one else, not another body in the building to take this other class. So I'm seeing more um, and more push from principals and schools to just make that their standard practice now of just sending classes home when there's not a teacher there to teach them because they've seen so much extreme overuse of special education teachers and learning support teachers being redeployed into the mainstream classes that they just don't feel okay doing that anymore taking the resources away from the vulnerable kids that they they know this will be the only way to maybe make the government listen and do more to to tackle the staff shortage mm-hmm. And and we'll come on to just that. And um, mm. in terms of then Leo uh, or the Taoiseach, what mm-hmm. you approached him about this mm-hmm. and and the outcome of the survey, and what was his response? Yeah, so I met him at um, a local education event, and you know I explained to him I'm from the Education Coalition Dublin West. I'm a primary school teacher in the area. I teach subbing in eleven schools, and my colleague in the Education Coalition teaches as the supply panel teacher for 26 other schools. So between the two of us, we cover and have constant contact in um, 35 um, local primary schools, all of them in, in the constituency. And I you know, gave the survey results to him and his office. Um, you know, he said that they had been well briefed on the teacher shortage already, and he said that he they would pass on the documents and the information to the Department of Education. But I was explaining to him that, you know, so far the department's delivery has not been enough and that we need more push from um leaders in government um to to lead the Department of Education into doing more. But there does seem to be a sort of um, a downplay and an understatement by the government on how bad this situation is. Mm. You know, I heard Leo Varadkar on News Talk the other day. The headline was, um, uh, we have more teachers and nurses than we've ever had before. And, yeah. you know, so many principals and teach primary teachers, secondary teachers, parents, leaving search students in um from the education coalition have we have you know we've had recent meetings and we're in constant contact and so many of those people, including school management, um condemn Leo Varadkar's portrayal of the teacher shortage and now I'm just the messenger so don't shoot the messenger Leo I'm just passing the message on but um, school staff are saying that they feel gaslighted by those comments because it's a it's a misleading portrayal of what's really happening because you cannot determine the the staffing levels by the number of teachers 
it has to be by the percentage of teachers. So even though we may have more teachers than ever before, we have an increased population and therefore more teacher jobs to be filled. And we have a lower, the lowest percentage of jobs um, ever filled in our Irish history. So we're doing the worst that we've ever been doing in terms of teacher staffing. And saying that we have more teachers than ever before should never be said without also saying we have the lowest percentage of jobs filled. So, um, there, you know, and I've provided rock solid evidence of that in, you know, a summary survey of 28 primary schools and then a detailed survey from over 30 principals of primary schools and then we have a local survey of secondary schools and we also have our national surveys showing that in Dublin um you know over two-thirds of schools do not have their jobs uh teacher jobs filled mm. um and you know in in Dublin over 60 percent of the supply panel jobs are vacant then nationally it's nearly one third of schools have um jobs that are unfilled and then the the cities the the worst five six cities affected have huge percentage of jobs not filled but what key information that has not been um collected is the number of teachers which each school is short of so we we have these yes no answer surveys where schools are saying yes I'm short staffed but data is not being collected on how many because there are so many schools who are not just short one or two teachers there's schools who are short two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven teachers one teacher in this survey said you know I was short 11 teachers in September and then I I was short uh, 12 teachers after Christmas when someone else went on maternity leave and you know this data national data was collected last November so it didn't even um include the the further long-term vacancies that occurred say after Christmas time from maternity leave because we're a majority female workforce and we see around Christmas winter time is peak time for people to go on maternity leave. So it didn't even count those figures. So what we really want to see this year is for the Department of Education to do more sort of detailed data collection on not just, you know, what schools are saying yes or no, I'm short staffed, but collecting data from each school saying how many teachers they are short of so that we can calculate the average number of how many teachers each school is short of because that's just yes or no the percentages of of schools saying yes I'm short-staffed is not showing the extent of the crisis because there are so many schools not just short-staffed of one or two there are so many schools short-staffed of um of many many teachers um and you know uh leo varadkar he um he he made some comments as well about you know teacher pay and strikes um you know he was commenting on in the uk recently they had long-term teacher strikes um for months and he seemed to be criticizing that where he said you know strikes don't help anyone they don't you know make progress or something like that um but if us teachers disagree with that because we see this example in the UK where teachers have gotten a seven percent pay rise 
and they've gotten um newly qualified teachers have gotten a, a once off lump sum of money um and they wouldn't have gotten that without striking long term and they had to continue striking long term because the pay offers that they were given were so minuscule and so many of them were living on you know uh food stamps going into debt from not being able to pay their overhead bills so the they there are examples of strikes like that where progress and pay rises are given when push comes to shove and teachers don't want to do that nurses don't want to do that but the housing crisis is is pushing them in that direction um you know he what else was i going to say um so yeah as regards pay you know he said that teacher pay nurses pay should always be um negotiated but what we're saying as young teachers is that we're still on unequal pay, unequal pensions, unequal opportunities and equality should never need be negotiated. Equality should just be delivered. So there's a misconception out there that the the pay inequality has been um, rectified between older teachers and younger teachers, the newer entrants, but that's not true. So um, younger teachers who qualified after 2011 are still uh, stuck on a lower pension scale than those who started after 2013 are on an extra lower pension scale. And when you look at the costs of rents that people will be paying probably all their lives, they won't be able to save enough more for a pension. And then how will they pay those rents when they get into their, their pension years? Um, and then in terms of the, you know the standard rate of pay you know a teacher who starts working now this year is on the the equal salary starting point but a teacher who qualified started working in Ireland six years ago or 10 years ago or 12 years ago um was stuck on an unequal scale where they lost tens of thousands in the last up to 12 years and they should receive some kind of backdated sum for that to uh, to get them closer to equality and also there's um the allowances bonuses for extra qualifications and skills have not been restored since the recession so teachers um used to get uh older teachers used to get an extra six thousand five hundred a year if they had a master's or um and that's been cut so younger teachers with that qualification now don't get that um, other teachers who work in specialised areas like Gale schools or Gale Tucked, where they they speak a second language as an additional skill, used to get an extra few thousand a year. That's still that that's been cut for younger teachers. Still hasn't been restored. So that really, you know, adds up. And when we see mm. um, our teacher shortage being as extreme as it is, um these young teachers many of them are not even looking for a rise we're just looking for at the absolute bare minimum equality and for all of those things that were there before the recession to be restored and yeah. we are a wealthy country we can afford it and i think the government try get ordinary people to feel that we that we need to compete with each other or that we are each other's enemies when we're not they try to make you know, nurses feel like, oh, teachers have taken this much out of the budget. So, you know, we have to compete with them and they're our enemy. But no, like the truth is we have tons of billionaires at the top. You know, the the 
I think it's the top, is it 27% or something of Ireland's wealth is owned by a tiny percentage of, you know, billionaires and people with, with, with hundreds of millions or tens of millions or several millions. And it, the taxation just needs to occur you know, at much higher percentages at the very, very top of extreme and profound wealth. And that money from that can easily be taken and redistributed to so many ordinary people um, who need and deserve it for survival. And it shouldn't be considered a, a bonus or a luxury or um, you, you should consider yourself lucky if you get this. It's those are just the the amounts of money that are needed for equality and equal opportunity and for survival, not for thriving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Roshan, yeah. just on, on a personal level, and, uh, you know, you've mm. set it out, you know, very, very clearly, um, you know, and, and with the evidence base and, and the mm-hmm. you know, analysis, it's, it's been really, you know, I think well put together, but important in highlighting mm um that story and th- that reality mm-hmm. um of the story facing young teachers and not so young teachers mm-hmm. but in particular that younger mm-hmm. uh generation of teachers who are being locked out uh but within education and, and from housing as well the question mm-hmm. of emigration and you know mm-hmm. you mentioned it earlier yourself um mm-hmm. what what is the strongest you know you, can you you've outlined it but just mm-hmm. to put it in your own words what mm-hmm. is the strongest push that's pushing you to emigrate? Mm-hmm. And then obviously what, what would keep you here? So the way I, I put it is in Ireland for young people right now, it's like there's no way out. So, you know, even if you're willing or just about able to pay the extortionately high rent you're at constant risk of eviction. And then, you know, if you are evicted, you can be back in your parents' home again. Or, you know, if, you know, mortgages are so out of reach and you have to spend another year and another year and another year saving towards it and you're not actually, you know, even then any closer. Um, So in terms of emigration, you know, I don't want to do it. But I know that next September, that's 100% what I will be doing if there's not a massive change here. So what we really need is, you know, permanent security in housing that is absolutely enforced across the board where, um, you know, equality in terms of housing is just provided. So you know, we need to see rent controls, real rent controls, rent capping, rent reduction, calculation um, and assessment of what is a fair rent price. Landlords being means tested because there are so many landlords who are charging way more than they need to widespread. And, you know, you see landlords saying things like we need um tax reductions now uh, nearly 75 percent of landlords are not registered with rtb meaning that nearly 75 percent of tenants could not claim back um claim their rent tax back and um they shouldn't be looking for tax reductions in my opinion when the majority of them are not even paying the tax anyway 
And there are massive numbers of examples of landlords charging extortionate prices that are so unjustifiable that it's just common within the market. And we need to have official policing of that. You know, we need to have um, teams of regulators, uh, you know, and legal people assigned to doing um, unannounced inspections of landlords and checking if they're tax compliant and enforcing reasonable rents upon them and saying this is an extortionate price, the recommended price for somewhere something of this size in this area is X amount and have them, you know, follow that. Now, if they need the money, if they need the money for a pension or whatever, then so be it. But if they're just overcharging because they can, that's wrong. And the Airbnbs, there needs to be a serious crackdown on that because there are so many teachers and working people who are just living, paying extortionate prices for B&Bs when the they really are just looking for a home to rent. And so many of the B&Bs are functioning as just homes to live in, but um, being charged a higher price with people in constant rotation who are looking for a home, the majority of them not looking for tourism or a weekend yeah. away in a and b yeah. um, So <laughs> there needs to be just absolute transformation not just change and it's just absolutely undeniable that there's extreme financial exploitation happening of tenants and of young people from landlords yeah i'm sure there are some landlords who are fair but i that i think the majority of them are just extortionate because the average prices have exploded out of control and it's young people and tenants are just exploding with stress and grief and depression and um you know it's just so undeniable that there needs to be real rent controls and rent reductions and rent caps and caps on you know homes that are sold and you know i don't agree with this argument of landlords saying oh well i need to charge a high rate of tax to to pay the mortgage on the second home well no you don't need a second home the only home you need is the roof over your head you shouldn't just be taking a tenant in to pay your second mortgage on a second loan on a second home that you do not need and you're clearly taking out that second mortgage with the goal of making profit um and you wouldn't be doing it you wouldn't be renting it to tenants if you weren't making a profit so you must be making some kind of profit that's beneficial to you so if it was up to me if i was in government today i would be banning the sale of homes and properties um to landlords as a second home for a rent to let because they will always so many of them will always charge more than what the mortgage costs and so many of them do continue to charge extortionate rates even after after that second mortgage is paid off so you know it's not a tenant's job to pay off a landlord's mortgage if you're a landlord and if you don't have the capacity to pay a second mortgage yourself don't take out a second mortgage and don't you know, charge an extortionate rate on someone else and then don't use this debt as an excuse 
to charge someone an extortionate rate when they could ju- when you didn't need to take on that debt in the first place. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. You know, Roisin, it's been um, really, I think, really, really important to hear uh, this. And it is exploding, you know, and has been going on for a number of years, but it is reaching absolutely, you know, a tipping point. And I think for Mm. so many in this country, it's reaching the point where, you know, it can't be tolerated. And, you know, and the idea that you can just expect people to live in this constant churn Mm-hmm. Um, of as you you know you talk about evictions after evictions and and not just people but people who are working jobs that are supposedly at the cornerstone mm-hmm. of the republic of the country mm-hmm. you know teachers mm-hmm. you know teachers guards nurses doctors mm-hmm. these are the cornerstone of a society um mm-hmm. uh, you know everybody is of course Mm-hmm. But these jobs have traditionally been jobs in this country that have been viewed and treated with rightfully, mm-hmm. you know, with with um, decent conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, a teacher, a nurse, a guard could expect to get a home, a home for mm-hmm. life themselves mm-hmm. as an individual, mm-hmm. not to mind as as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows how, you know, the social contract for younger generations is utterly broken. Um Mm-hmm. And you know, I hope you don't emigrate, and I mm. hope, as I've said to people before, you stay and mm. change it, and mm-hmm. um, because it is people like you who will change it. Mm. Um, and there's obviously, you know, there's there's so much that can be done as you are doing, you know, with the mm. you know the the in the unions and trade unions like the INTO and teachers unions and local campaigns, mm-hmm. um, and in politics as well, uh, mm. because we can't accept this. Yeah, and I think there's a kind of um, a secret, you know, unsaid opinion in government uh, that I think they only value very high paid professionals and don't value, you know, other middle income professionals as well as they should. You know, I think... They feel like, okay, well, if you couldn't afford a mortgage or if you can't afford to keep paying rent, just work harder and and advance into going into a higher paid, um, higher skilled job. Yeah. And I just want to explain why that's not possible for so many reasons. Firstly, I think, you know, teachers and nurses and, you know, people of, of different jobs like that are, I think, viewed as lower skilled workers than what they actually are so you know last year and for many years the points for primary school teachers um to get into teacher training college was nearly 530 it was from 480 to 530 depending on which college which is way above the um average leave insert and then you know you need to get um high grades in core higher level subjects like higher level irish and then, you know, the the if people who don't get in through the, the high point system go in through masters. So either most primary school teachers are like, you know, extremely high scoring candidates from their leave insert of like into the 500s. And then others are qualified at master's level and go to college for six years. And then we see dropout rates now in teacher training colleges of, you know, a quarter to a third. I think it's something like 25 to 30 percent dropout because it's a a tough course now. And, you know, when people have already gone to college, have already 
made those high scores of in the 500s in their leaving cert or they go have a master's if they do on a four-year degree and a two-year master's they were a full-time student out of work for six years they can't afford to go back to college again and do a second master's they have absolutely no way of affording you know a second um student loan to pay for another master's for 13,000 and being out of work for another year or two when they were already out of work for six years and they can't can't afford the rent as it is so our government believe in meritocracy but people who already have plenty of merit and you know experience and qualifications and and perform at decent standards are not being given accessibility to housing and basic things and you know I talk to teachers who've told me that they did go and do another master's and then they advanced into becoming a full-time lecturer which was higher paid for them but then the they they still couldn't afford a mortgage or they were still struggling to pay the rent so even when people are trying their hardest and taking steps to advance into yeah. higher paid jobs, they're still not getting there. So there needs to be an acknowledgement that there's it's not just the absolute top highest earners that should have access to mortgages and um, permanently affordable rents. It should be everybody across society. It should be that everyone is given access to a home, affordable home, even if you're just working a minimum wage job. And then everybody who's maybe doing a harder higher skilled job should maybe be able to afford a bigger home as a sort of bonus for their extra hard work but everybody no matter you know how high or low you are on the ladder of status should be given access to a home and we're seeing our society fall apart where you know our hospitals our schools you know, our policing services are struggling to function because we just don't have enough staff to keep them running at a smooth and even basic level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, yeah. Roisin, thanks so much for coming on today and for, um, you know, ex explaining that and for setting it out uh, so clearly. I know our, our listeners will have um, really found that interesting and engaging and, and hopefully this will, um, you know, be sent around and and you know we do mm -hmm. ask our listeners to share this around mm -hmm. um on social media and to because the more people that hear this uh mm -hmm. it is it is you know information as well and mm -hmm. showing that you know think people can take action as well as you are doing um mm -hmm. and that we don't have to accept this and you know everybody should absolutely be able to access a home housing is a human right you know we have to mm -hmm. make it a human right um mm -hmm. and listen thank you so much and hopefully we'll talk to you again yeah, thanks very much for having me. That was Roisin McCashin there, um, who set out very, very clearly um, the teaching crisis, but how it is uh, absolutely being caused by the housing crisis and wider, um, you know, pay inequality and, and uh, inequalities and cuts that happen to younger teachers. Really, really important. Um, if you can, share it around. And as always, um, listeners, we are a independent media produced by Tortoise Shack Media. If you can become a patron, go over to patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack and sign up for whatever you can each month. You get the podcast first. Um, and listen, thank you so much. And we will talk to you all very, very, very soon again.